this sense of relaxed attention, opening, uh, receiving, like non-striving and not trying to open. Just notice how we grasp ideas and then even the word relaxation can be an effort, kind of a compulsive striving to relax. And this is where learning to trust yourself not grasp any ideas and then try to make life fit into what you're perceiving, but know yourself. How be just aware of the tensions or the the sense of having to strive or get something, or even the even the way one might regard uh, the ideal of relaxing. So this is what we call awareness, sati sampachanya. Noticing attentiveness, but it's not like forced in, uh, like attention is a military command where everybody has to snap into a rigid formation, but into attentiveness, being present which is a relaxed state of being. And then striving and non-striving or effort, as this word, uh, English word effort, is how much effort, what's right effort. And then you hear various things that no effort is right effort, or you have to put a lot of effort in, you have to 
concentrate the mind in order to keep out the negative thoughts and so there's various views of uh, regarding effort but there's different levels of effort and this is like intuitive effort is like balancing you know you know it through through balancing yourself if it's too much on the right you know you too much on the left you know you find that that point of balance through awareness through intuitive awareness rather than through a prescription of somebody telling you how how to do it you just know it when you're when you're balanced Now, physical balance, we, when we learn to walk, is, you know, this is, you notice how children learn to walk. They, they experiment, they crawl, and then and they pull themselves up on the furniture, and they, you know, they, they learn how to balance through intuition, not through uh, mother, father telling them how to walk. I say, mother says, now walk, darling. Just, uh, put your right foot forward and then your left foot. It's very simple. <laughs> it is, you know. If you've never done it, then it, you know, all the best descriptions and advice, you know, can be, uh, you know, don't mean very much till we get the feeling for it ourselves. Now I find it's like sound of silence is a balance point in in uh, consciousness, or the point that includes uh, these ways of ways of talking, just pointing to it, to in order to test it out, because it's self-sustaining. It doesn't. You don't. You know, you, ha you don't create it, you just open to it, recognize it, and relax with it.
So in this, uh, like in the Eightfold Path, the Sama Vayamo, Sama Sati, Sama Samadhi, the right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration, they get these different factors of the Eightfold Path. This is, you know, this balance point is the right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration. It's not absorption into anything, so it's not an extreme. It's not, you know, going to some extreme of controlling uh, the mind or absorbing into an object, but it's it's open, balanced, receptive. Seems effortless once you, once you uh, recognize this. <clears throat> but then you know the momentum of <clears throat> habits are strong, so so that the. It's easy to forget it, you know, to get lost in thought. <clears throat> Thinking mind starts going doubting, wandering uh, thoughts, and we get, you know, caught into that. So our, we're distracted from it. So the the cultivation of this is is uh, like when when you find yourself, uh, you know thinking and wandering in your mind, that point of where you suddenly recognize this. You suddenly realize, oh, I'm wandering. Then, ref- then, then start from, from the present again. Just don't give it a second thought. Don't, don't give, I advise you not to go into saying, oh, I can't be mindful, I've lost it again and get caught in kind of uh, self-criticism. Uh, totally worthless to indulge in that. It doesn't, it just makes it, uh, makes you despairing. So it's not a matter of, of trying to be perfect and get this and sustain it and every time your mind wanders or you think about something else or you get caught up in your emotions and to kind of uh, abuse yourself and condemn yourself for not being mindful or not being a good meditator. That's a, another trap. So this is where trusting yourself is points where you know the the thinking mind so high, you know, is so such a strong force in our lives. For most people, we're so prone, so easily caught in thinking. That it, you know, it's very, it, uh, you know, it's nothing wrong with thinking, or you know, that that that, that, uh, that this is some personal defect. But it's learning to not be just uh, caught in that habitual thinking process, the proliferating tendencies that thinking proliferates. They call it papancha in Pali. Nice word. Papancha. Start some some thought comes in your mind and you proliferate. It carries you away. So in in uh, this this way we 
as soon as we recognize we're, we're thinking, then return to the silence, recognize the sound of silence. And just learning to train yourself to do this so that more and more you're the, the, this awareness, pure consciousness, awareness, is uh, you f begin to recognize the balance point, the, the naturalness of it, the ordinariness of it, where we might think of it as some kind of spiritual attainment or some kind of extreme a meditative state, and then it, then the thoughts created in like make it into an extremity again. So don't think about it. Don't don't try to you know create it into some kind of rare experience or spiritual attainment, but use it in a very practical way. Ref referring to it. until you, you feel at ease with it. Now, with the sound of silence, even chanting begins to be become more developed. Like one can learn poly chanting, and uh, you know, just a kind of perfunctory repetition, and be thinking about something else. Namo Tassa Bhagavato, and be thinking, uh, you know, just doing it without you know, even appreciating what I'm saying or just a, a habit, part of a tradition. But you can actually, with the sound of silence, chant. And it stops the mind from wandering. It gives a kind of, it has a reflective quality, namo tassa bhagavato, and these words begin to, you know, recognize these are beautiful words. What they mean, you know, they were thinking, using beautiful concepts, beautiful words. And if you're going to think, why worry about all kinds of things and, and uh, just get caught in proliferating when you can quite think beautiful words like, Bhagavato, Arahato. <laughs> so this is how I've developed a kind of, you know, a devotional side to my religious practice. So when we think of Bhagavato, homage to the blessed. What what does blessed mean? What is blessed and you know, so translate Bhagavato into an English equivalent, but what is what does that really mean right now? What is blessing us at this very moment? 
You know, so this is like asking the question and, and reflecting. What, what do we really mean? Is this just some sweet word that, you know, I don't feel blessed. My knees hurt, I feel cursed. (laughs) 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 So in this, uh, uh, you know, kind of savoring the meaning, Agawato, and and this is, because these words are quite powerful when you, when you really uh, make them fully conscious and appreciate them, that we have this, our thinking ability, we, we have this ability to, to create words that convey very beautiful states of mind. Now, when I'm in this sound of silence, I, you know, I think I feel blessed by it. And this is, this is my own reflection on it. Blessing me. Because it, it stops that proliferating, the nagging, tyrannical uh, superego I have. The jackal. The, the inner tyrant. The, the tyrant ceases uh, in a state of, of uh, like being blessed, a blessed state. It's like this. So the, the blessings are, are always present, just whether you're aware of it or not. You know, whether you're open to blessings is something else. When, when I'm caught in, in striving and and complaining and and uh, so forth about life or whatever, and then then I feel a different way. You know, I feel, oh, you know, life is so difficult. Uh, it's just uh, you know nobody's ever content with anything, and there's all this all these problems all the time and crises, and I get into whining and whinging and I just want to I want to go off to my cave tired of sangha life fed up with it somebody's always you know creating some kind of difficulty and then of course I don't feel blessed when I'm lost in that one No, just, but what is it that knows this? Knows when I'm, when I'm in my state of complaining and negativity and blaming and, and so forth. It's like this. You know, so I, I'm not just trying to suppress this tendency, but really feel the effect of thinking negative thoughts, complaining about life. And... Uh, it's like this when I, I notice when when I if I start complaining, then I feel this way. It's a kind of like an intuition, awareness of 
this negative state. It's a, it's a not, not pleasant at all. It's not peaceful. It's not a state I want to cultivate and be reborn into. I don't want to be reborn in next life as a complaining, uh, critical person because it's a kind of hell realm to just to have that as a kind of way one experiencing life through consciousness is just through negative thinking patterns. <coughs> so then, uh, the devotional side of, of a religious path become more apparent, not just kind of sentimentalizing or blind kind of uh, kind of winding oneself up into an ecstatic state, but but observing the power of of uh, thinking, uh, you know, in using thought. As a reminder, as a as a reflective ability, what is blessing, what is blessedness at this moment, and it's always means something good, something beautiful. You feel, you know, that this is a part. You don't feel separate and isolated and and lonely and complaining. So in this, uh, they seem being blessed by this stillness, this still point. Then then these words like Bhagavā, Bhagavato, Arahato, Sama, Sambhutasa. It's this this traditional Theravadan mantra. Homage to the blessed, noble, and perfectly enlightened one. Suddenly, it, it's it's a it's a beautiful kind of reflection, a way to think or chant. You know, so you can chant sound of silence, namo tassa. I can hear while I'm while I'm chanting namo tassa. I can I'm in the stillness, this sound of silence. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambhutasa. And then they, you know, carrying that on through the, through the chants, the other, the rest of it. <coughs> now this is uh, traditional and in, in that, but it's also how to use it so that it's not just perfunctory, parroting of poly words.
Now, effort is coming from just willpower, from the ego. You know, I've got to get this, that. I want to attain the jhanas. I want to get my samadhi. This, this kind of effort uh, is a kind of joyless willfulness. You know, so you, you know, it's me, at least I, this is how I experienced it. My, my life in the Sangha in the beginning, a lot of it was pretty joyless because they, they, I was so willful and uh, just, you know, try, you know, I, that's all I knew, how to operate from striving and making myself do things and disciplining myself and trying to attain states and and this idea of attainment, getting something, was uh, very strong, um, very habitual pattern. <clears throat> but it also was joyless. It made the life, monastic life, a kind of joy, joyless uh, grind for me. Because there was too much you know, sense of me trying to get something from it and demanding results. And so I wasn't, you know, I wasn't developing the qualities, the jhana factors in any way. I was just, you know, as started from reading Visuddhi Magga and trying to, to attain these levels of concentration through what I read in a book. So, uh, you know, and that was interpreted from, from my ego and from my, and, and put into practice through the willfulness, the striving tendencies that, that I developed from ego, from me trying to succeed and get. So in the, like in the, the, um, even when I would get, you know, concentrated in that, it, you know, the, there would always be a sense of loss. You know, the story I tell when I had malaria, you know, the, the kind of despair I felt because I was really, I felt I was really getting somewhere with my samadhi up till then. I was at this branch monastery in Thailand and I was really getting somewhere, you know, really disciplined, sitting many hours a day, concentrating the mind, really getting somewhere. And then suddenly, this blasted disease, you know, feels weak, enervated, terrible, can't meditate, can't concentrate, can't do anything. So then the, then the suffering of, of losing what, you know, this sense of I've got something and now I've lost it. And this is malaria is the problem. <clears throat> and then Lung Cha's reflection on it, when I complained to him about it, he said, malaria, you know, that's your practice, you know. Learn from, from that. And that was, you know, so I did. And I began to, rather than just complain about it and resent it, I started observing what it is, 
What's it like to have malarial fevers and and uh, the physical uh, sensations that come from this, from having this disease? Different way, isn't it? Suddenly, I'm instead of just trying to get, how can I get rid of this malaria so I can get my practice together again? Because it's disrupting it. Lung Po Chan did not see any kind of problem as malaria is being obstructive to mindfulness. <laughs> so the path wasn't, you know, isn't, isn't, isn't uh, obstructed through disease. But the big obstructions are ignorance and and uh, self-view and all the rest. These are the fetters, what they call the fetters, uh, that that obstruct the path. <coughs> Not the malaria. Not noisy scenes or or anything else. Uh, it's uh, not not like that. It's the, the the way we, you know, our understanding. This understanding then is is what we this right understanding is the is where the path becomes apparent. And <clears throat> this path then is not obstructed through the conditions we're experiencing. Now in the monastic life, like you have, you you have the what they call samana sanya reflections, where you, you know, you chant, you, you know, because it's an alms mendicant lifestyle, you, you, the Buddha allowed four requisites. So, he allowed us to have a robes, an alms bowl to collect food, uh, a shelter for the night and uh, medicine for illnesses, or for basic requisites. So in one of the ways of uh, developing monastic lifestyle is reflecting on these four requisites, which lead to contentment. So contentment, say, with what you have uh, is, is a very basic, mental state towards uh, understanding, towards happiness, toward, and even like developing jhanas, uh, these, these kind of the jhanas are, are, you know, quite easily developed through, through, not through me striving to get them, but through contentment, through basic kind of uh, sense of contentment and gratitude. So in the these two, when before I had felt contentment or gratitude, 
then my attempts at meditation were were the you know coming from the the ego the sense of me striving proving myself getting something and then the then the kind of resentment when i when i what i'd get i'd lose so that was not a joyful i didn't experience joy in monastic life when I was operating like that, from the, from, you know, just trying to use it to, to get something for myself. So in the uh, life as we lived it in, with uh, Lung Po Cha, was a, was a lot of this Samana Sanya reflection, which helped me to, to appreciate, because, uh, you know, the, the alms food, that people offer the robes, the shelter for the night, kind of basic, not not high standards. They're at the lowest standard, like rag robes. You think you're thinking of not not getting high quality robes, but in you know this idea of being content. So you're content with if nobody offers any kind of nice material, then you, the Buddha would allow us to go and pick up the refuse rags that the lay people throw away, or you find in the, used to wrap, wrap the corpses in cloth. We could go and take the cloth. <laughs> we got bung for cooler cloth. And so it's based on a very low standard of, uh, you know, of in the lowest quality possible, you know, the, the stuff that, that the lay people throw out, we can pick up and make a robe out of. Or, every year, you know, at the end of the Vasa, the traditional season retreat, then the Katina is a, Katina ceremonies are where lay people gather together buy material and offer a weave material, you know, time of the Buddha offered to the bhikkhus, bhikkhunis. So they don't, we don't have to go out and into the channel ground and get some disgusting kind of cloth that, you have to <laughs> that a corpse is rotted in. We can But it is, this, this reflection now creates a sense of gratitude, isn't it? Because the lay community is always offering the best material they can find. You know, they're not, they're not offering you the kind of cheapest, uh, worst fabric they, they find. They're usually looking for, for good quality. So, but this isn't a demand, you see. This, this isn't saying, you have to get me for our Katina ceremony, get me the best. <laughs> so this, then, because when you reflect in this way, the generosity extended and the the, the caring uh, of the lay community, where they put forth the effort to to find good material so you can have a robe, then this prayer, this sense of gratitude. Katanyu Gatawaiti is a powerful experience. So the contentment 
and gratitude. This is the this is the foundation for the holy life. Not attaining jhanas or getting to nibbana and all that in some kind of you know ego egotistical attitude anymore, but in very in the simplicity and kind of humility. Simple gratitude for for the food offered. You know, so we're not like alms food is is not you're not saying I have to have this kind of food and uh, you have to make it and give it to me. The alms mendicant or bindabad is dropping into the bowl. I mean it's whatever people drop into the bowl. So this is a this is like alms mendicancy. So you're 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 um, you you feel this gratitude for the food offered, rather than complain about it because you you don't like this and they didn't bring your favorite dish. <laughs> I found this very helpful living in in uh, Thailand because you know I developed. I thought this is this is beautiful life because. You know, you're 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 the receiver of so much goodness every day, so much generosity. In the parts of Thailand where I live, oftentimes were very poor village uh, village people in rural Thailand, but they were always generous. You know, they what they had, they shared quite joyfully. Not only with the Thai monks, with the Western monks. Yeah, so was uh, felt the fen- increasing sense of gratitude, and that applies to shelter for the night or medicine. Like in because uh, it's like fermented urine is the is the standard, and that's obviously you know very ancient remedy for illness. <coughs> So in England we have national health system. So much better than fermented urine. <laughs> so one can only feel gratitude, you know. Very, this is this is like you see one like in England people complain about the national health system a lot. But the, uh, I don't because I, of this this uh, reflective quality that you develop through uh, ref- contemplating the four requisites. So it's encouraging this, uh, <coughs> you know, in your own life to. This striving and uh, this tendency, always wanting something you don't have, trying to get something, trying to attain something, either you know on a material level, a higher standard of living, or or on in the meditation, always striving to get and and uh, this attitude of attainment to be recognized. What is it like? What does it feel like to always feel you're not good enough, you have to get something, 
that all your life, even when you come here, you're here to get something. And you're sitting in meditation in order to attain something. This, now, to me, when I noticing that, that, that kind of pushy uh, movement of my mind, it's very unpleasant when you, when you see this, this always feeling I've got to get something I don't have. I've got to, or what I have, you know, I've got, to, I've got to get rid of my bad thoughts or my bad moods and this always this, this sense of having to do something. Now this is the Bhavadanha Vipavadanha of the second noble truth. The causes of suffering, grasping, desire for becoming or desire to get rid of. So it's like reflecting on this. I, I want something I don't have. And I observe this. I want the. I want the, that. That kind of. You know. I, I remember last retreat. Spirit Rock. I really had a wonderful experience. And this retreat, I'm not getting it. I want it. <laughs> and you can. You know. Be aware that this. Wanting something is always based on, you know, either idealizing or remembering. But that which is aware, see, this awareness, puts that wanting into the perspective of where you can see it, and 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 recognize the the suffering you create by attaching to it, by being caught in these desires. In, enslaved by these desires and it feels like this always something's always wrong and, and when I get something wanting to keep it and then getting very upset if somebody uh, disrupts you know my my concentration this to get very selfish like really you know annoyed at some minor things somebody moving too loudly. Now, I've got to practice alone because in the meditation all people cough and they do things, you know, that disrupt me. <laughs> I think, you know, in some places they even ban you from wearing nylon jackets and Velcro and things like this. You, you can sit in a meditation hall and somebody uh, is undoing their Velcro You really hate them. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's rather amusing. <laughs> but they recognize that this is because you don't want that. You don't want that noise that disrupts you because you're trying to get and or keep hold of a, something you like. So this is where the, you know, this 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 control freak attitude that. Easily comes to meditators is uh, is is bhavadanha vipavadanha, and it's and and then you observe you know when I get into my controlling mode, 
you know, this is not a peaceful state. It's always under threat. I'm always under threat. If I lose control or somebody, you know, misbehaves, my mental state is affected by that and I'm threatened by it. It's always, you know, resentment or anger arise. So in, um, in, the, in this reflecting on, you know, developing this sense of contentment and gratitude, then I find this is a, this brings me into a place where where jhanas are, are, you know, coming from, from a stable foundation rather than just from a, a me, from my personal wish to, to accomplish something. Because these jhana factors are quite, you know, available. Viddhaka vichara piti sukha ekagata. And this viddhaka vichara is just like bringing the, the subject into consciousness. The thought itself, and which leads with with uh, with uh, say a beautiful thought like meta, the 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 subject of meta practice, meta's beautiful, you know, concept, loving kindness, and then leads to piti sukha, rapture, kind of well-being, feeling of of well-being and mental happiness, which lead to ekakata, or one-pointedness. So these are, you know, these come, then are coming from contentment and gratitude, rather than from me attain, trying to attain something, you know, that I want, through controlling the environment. So in, uh, my experience with Lung Po Cha was he was very much, you know, this is what he was pointing at in, in the monastic life that we lived in uh, Wat Pa Pong, was the developing this foundation of contentment and gratitude, which I developed there, because I used to get a lot of pity, just as a kind of a feeling of of rapture, of just thinking how uh, you know I'm being blessed by all the, this this uh, opportunity, these good things, this uh, this uh, the teaching, uh, the the generosity of the lay people, the opportunity to practice the Dhamma. I get into a right state of tears, you know, this kind of tears come to your eyes with joy and happy mental state. This is, this is, a, this is a devotional side that makes one's life very, uh, a joyful and beautiful experience.
Well, speaking of blessings, we could do the do the uh, chant uh, on page thirty-two, the highest blessings, the Mangala Sutta. Thus have I heard that the Blessed One was staying at Savati, residing at the Jetus Grove in Anatta Pindika's Park. Then in the dark of the night, a radiant Deva Illuminated all Jada's grove, she bowed down low before the Blessed One. Then standing to one side, she said, Devas are concerned for happiness and ever long for peace. The same is true for humankind. What then are the highest blessings? Avoiding those of foolish ways, associating with the wise, and honouring those worthy of honour. These are the highest blessings. Living in places of suitable kinds, with the fruits of past good deeds and guided by the rightful way. These are the highest blessings accomplished in learning and craftsman skills with discipline highly trained and speech that is true and pleasant to hear. These are the highest blessings, providing for mother and father's support and cherishing family and ways of work that harm no being. These are the highest blessings, giving with Dhamma in the heart, offering help to relatives and kin, and acting in ways that leave no blame. These are the highest blessings, steadfast in restraint and shunning evil ways, avoiding intoxicants that dull the mind, and heedfulness in all things that arise. These are the highest blessings, respectfulness and of humble ways, contentment and gratitude, and hearing the Dhamma frequently taught, these are the highest blessings, patience and willingness to accept one's faults, seeing venerated seekers of the truth, and sharing often the words of Dhamma. These are the highest blessings, the holy life lived with ardent effort, seeing for oneself the noble truths and the realization of Nibbana. These are the highest blessings, 
Although involved in worldly ways, unshaken the mind remains, and beyond all sorrow, spotless, secure, these are the highest blessings. They who live by following this path know victory wherever they go, and every place for them is safe. These are the highest blessings. Arahantamma Sambhutomatova The Lord, the perfectly enlightened and blessed one, Buddhang Bhagavantang Apiwa Devi I render homage to the Buddha, the Blessed One. Tho Bhagavantadamo The teachings are completely explained by him. Namang namasami, I bow to the Tamma. Supatipano Bhagavato Savata Sangho, the Blessed One's disciples who have practiced well, Sankang namami, I bow to the Sangha. 